first, second, and third. John, just a little heads up. Let's see if we can get this to sync here. No. One more try. We'll try this one more way here. All right, Logan, I might need your expertise for a second. Let's see here, one last. Well, that's kind of good. There it is. Gosh. That's all good. It's kind of like me, just a little little stubborn, a little hard-headed there. But we're good to go. First, second, and third, John. For those of you who haven't uh, been with us or it's been a while since you've been with us, just a little catch-up as to uh, what these books are all about. The author, John, is the one who, in the Gospel of John, he was the author of the Gospel of John, refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He was so close to Jesus that he had a perspective of the life of Christ and his walk with his Father in a way that most of us uh, would be jealous to know. And so when we dive into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we're not just getting anyone's perspective. We're getting the perspective of Jesus' best friend. Uh, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation. He wrote most of these books, if not all of them, while he's exiled on the island of Patmos late in uh, his life, probably in the AD 80s. Uh, after most of, if not all of, the New Testament was written. So he knew what was said about God by the others who were around God. And yet he gives us his perspective and he shows us what his time with Jesus was like. He's writing to, more than likely, the Ephesian church who he spent most of his ministry with. And this church was going through some hardships. And so he writes boldly because what was happening was that they were going through um, a time where false teachers had entered in, risen up the ranks, and had started to deceive them and teaching them that they should question their salvation, that Jesus didn't really come. He didn't really die. He wasn't really a person, but he was more of... Uh, an angelic figure, so to speak. So the death on the cross wasn't a real human death. The resurrection wasn't a real human resurrection, which means the gospel uh, to those folks would have been useless because the blood of Christ wasn't really blood, and it didn't really cover. Oh, it popped off, didn't it? I'm not sure what's going on here. Logan, did we sabotage this thing? Then that, then it might be me. I'll let the tech director handle that one. You can keep going. All right. And so, um, so right now we have spent uh, roughly three months in First John, going through the first three chapters. Now the next couple of chapters, chapter 4 and 5, will go a little bit quicker because we'll see some repetition in the themes. But we're closing out chapter 3. Now when you look at the book of First John, really it can be divided into three expositions or three segments. These are um, teachings that John has where he's saying, this is what it looks like to be a true follower of Jesus. And we're right smack dab at, well, we're at the end of 
of the second exposition where he's talking about specifically what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be a child of God, to have a spiritual DNA of Christ? And so uh, we had seen, and I would show it to you, pull up here, um, what we've been covering over the last few weeks at the beginning of chapter 3, we talked about uh, just what it meant to be a child of God. And then we went through verses 4 through uh, 10 in chapter 3, and we were talking about how children of God, they hate sin. They love righteousness, but they hate sin. And then we talked about uh, last week in chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, we talked about how children of God love one another. And so tonight, we're talking about how children of God, in verses 19 through 24, how children of God can have confidence that we can take heart. It's part of our spiritual DNA. And so You'll see tonight, hopefully you'll see it. You might just have to read it in your own Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we do have some in the back in the Welcome Center. And uh, you can keep that. That's our gift to you. But you'll see tonight in these five verses, the word heart used four times. Only four times in all of First John does he use this imagery of the heart. Now, it's used four times in verses 19 uh, 20 and 21. And you got to understand in their culture, when they say to take heart or when they refer to the heart, they're talking about the emotional uh, seat, the, the, um, the inner being or the inner self. So we're talking about uh, confidence when we say heart. We're talking about assurance, belief when we say heart. And so believers, password him. This is the best cross-training we have ever had between the new seating arrangements, between Pastor Andy visiting and with the tech stuff. This is going to be a good night. I can tell. It's going to happen. Now, it might take us three hours to get to it, but it's going to be really good when it comes. It's going to be good. And so, again, when we talk about um, the heart tonight, we're talking about the inner self, the conscience. We're talking about your confidence. And I think that when it comes to the church, insecurity abounds. Like, I think about even the top five or ten questions that you would see uh, the average believer have. And certainly if you're in leadership, you've heard some of these questions. Things like, how do I know that I'm saved? And how do I know that, that I can stay saved? How that I know that I won't lose my salvation? And even, not just that, but insecurity on the other end. For those of you who feel like things are going pretty good, you don't question your salvation. You're pretty sure of yourself in Christ. But yet you don't pray big prayers. You don't do courageous, bold things for Jesus. You stay in your comfort zone. And you don't want to get out of that. That's a, that's a whole different look, but it's the same insecurity. It's a little bit more covert, right? And so, we're back. We're good. Nice. So, when we talk about taking heart and finding security in Christ, it's important to realize everybody struggles with insecurity. But, at the same time, as we walk through these first three chapters, and it gets scary because John is telling us things like, if you walk in the darkness, right? If you hate, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, then you are not a child of God. It makes us intimidated. It's scary. But he writes the whole book to assure Christians 
So why in the world would he use this, this language that's so scary when he's trying to assure us of our faith? Matter of fact, it's the same author, John, who in Revelation 1, when he encounters God, he has this vision, and it says that he was dead before God. So he knows what it's like to feel insecure before the throne of God, and yet he's here tonight saying, you can have confidence. You can be sure. The, new church, the early church Right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach with boldness and confidence. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says that we can come to God with confidence as we access him. Hebrews 4, 16 says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Confidence, confidence, confidence all over the place in Scripture when it comes to our standing with God. What about you? Would you call yourself a confident person? Do you ooze confidence to the people around you think, you know, they're just really confident? Why? Where does your confidence come from? Asking why is a big deal. I, uh, I love snacks. Some of you know, if I have a chance to snack, I'll snack all day long. And uh, one of the gals who's in the office quite a bit, Jade, she makes macaroons and she sells them by the dozen. And she's been getting into this whole macaroon thing. I've never had a macaroon in my life, but she's telling me how delicious these little macaroons are. Any of y'all had a macaroon before? Right? So like apparently they're crunchy on the outside, but kind of gooey and they're, they're on the inside and they're hard to make. And she just got this recipe and she, she got it down pat. She's proud of herself. And I couldn't eat them because she said, you know, they got some kind of almond in them, and I'm super allergic to almond. Like, my throat will swell up. It'll be a bad deal. But a couple weeks ago, after I was done teaching here on a Wednesday night, I didn't have supper yet, and it was about 8 o'clock, and I went to my office, and there was two little macaroons there. Now, I was supposed to take these home to my wife. But you know how snacks work in the family. Um, if you have snacks, they belong to the husband. And then if there's any left over, sometimes the wife will get some. And so I thought to myself, oh, gosh, I shouldn't. But what's two little bites going to hurt? So I nibble, nibble, just like a little mouse, nibble, nibble, nibble on that macaroon. By the time I got home, my throat started to get a little bit dry, a little, little bit puffy. All of a sudden, I'm telling Montero, I'm saying, uh-oh. I think I, I think I, I got some puffiness going on in my throat. She said, what happened? And I said, well, I ate one of those stupid macaroons. Just a little nibble. And she looked at me like loving wives do. She crossed her arms and she said, what made you think that you could eat a macaroon? And you know what I said? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was hungry. I was hungry. Where does your confidence come from? Sometimes it's not grounded, is it? As we walk through this tonight, when it comes to your standing with God, your relationship with God, I want you to ask yourself, where does my confidence, or lack thereof, come from? We're going to see some steps as to how we can get out of a life of insecurity when it comes to our walk with God. Verse 19 And by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. In the first part of verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, let's park right there. First thing is we see the issue. The issue when it comes to us taking heart is that every heart 
has issues. Every heart has issues. You see at the very beginning of verse 19, it says, by this, okay? If it, if it says by this, you've got to look at what the previous verse was, what the context was. And you go back to verse 18 last week, and it said that you need to make sure that you are, you are living out your faith. You're loving one another in word and deed and not just with lip service. So he's saying, by this, by your obedience to the commands of Jesus, we shall know that we are of the truth. So that this gospel is in us and that we are saved and that we're radiating that truth, we're reflecting it. And reassure our heart before him. So here's the first place we see heart, number two, right down here. That we can reassure ourselves. So right off the bat, you see reassure, which means to exhibit confidence in situations that cause fear. It also means and assumes that we're going to need to be reassured, aren't we? That we all struggle, that sometimes we need to be reassured. Our hearts before him, so when we're standing in the presence of God. For whenever our heart condemns us, what does condemn mean? Condemn means that your heart, that the Holy Spirit inside of you is saying, something's wrong. Your lifestyle is not matching up with the word of God. That what you say you believe in and how you're living, they ain't jiving right now. Something's wrong. So these are kind of scary. But we all struggle with doubt. So here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is John saying, you can be sure. So this whole book is about, you can be sure that you're a child of God. Because you obey the commands of Jesus. So the good news is, you know how you live. When all the haters say, you know what? You're just not maturing like you should. You know what? Some of your behavior is a little sketchy. You know your heart. You know your behavior. You know when you've been obedient to Jesus. That's the good news, is you know how you live. The bad news is, you know how you live. (laughs) That sometimes you don't always live up to those standards. And so we're caught in this weird world where John's saying, if you want assurance in the faith that you actually follow Jesus, you can know it because you actually follow Jesus. So on one hand, that's a great assurance. Okay, as long as I obey him, I could be sure. But we're torn because we know we don't always obey him very well. That puts us in a bind. That puts us in a bind. You say, well, if our heart condemns us, if we all struggle with this, what hope is there? Well, there's a few things that God has given us. First one is for those who don't believe, you can have a heart transplant. You can become a believer. Ezekiel 36 promises part of this new covenant that we have in Christ is that when we place our faith in him, he gives us a new heart, a spiritual heart. He says that he removes that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, one that wants to please God, that desires to obey God. So you can have a heart transplant. But for those of us who are already trying to follow him, right, who have that heart transplant, The great physician says you can get a lifestyle change. This is for the believers. That it's not too late. Tonight, it is not too late. You can change your ways and you can turn and you can follow Jesus. But for all of us, because maybe you read that and you're like, yeah, but I'm just not, I'm just, I don't know. I just struggle. I just struggle with this whole obedience thing. I'm not sure where I'm going wrong in life. 
to get really medical, honest, throw out another term, you can get a spiritual heart cath. Now, for those of you who are familiar with a heart cath, it's a little tube that they can put down in your heart to diagnose and run tests to see what's going on. They can find out what's happening. To be able to wake up daily and to say, you know what, God, I need you to sift me. I'm not sure. i got some turmoil in my life right now. I'm trying to obey you, but I'm not always doing a very good job of it. I'm reading your word, but I don't feel your joy. I'm struggling to let God do a spiritual heart calf, to, to let him sift you, to let the spirit seek what's going on inside of your heart. That's crucial. I uh, had a grandpa. He passed away years ago um, in his early 70s. But we knew him as a wonderful guy who um, had been smoking for over 50 years. One of those guys in that generation, maybe you know one of these folks, maybe you had a grandpa like this, that started smoking when they were like 12 or 13, and they just continued right on through until the day they died. And he never, ever, ever, ever would admit to my grandma that he smoked. He would just go behind the garage and smoke. He'd jump in his old truck, and he would leave at 6 in the morning to go up and hang out with the other old-timers in that small town of Riley in their little gas station and smoke cigarettes for two hours, go home for a while, go back, smoke. Like, he just did it all day long. But he would never admit to it. Well, of course, as time went on, even though he seemed healthy in all the other areas of his life, exercise, his diet, was all pretty healthy, we started to see the effects of that. Started getting COPD, the chronic bronchitis. He had emphysema. By the time he died, and hospice was in my grandparents' house, we gathered around as he's barrel-chested. You ever seen someone go through that kind of pain? (sighs) Barrel-chested. Breathing treatments go from 10 to 20 to 30 minutes to they don't even do anything. And we watched him die a slow, horrible death. And it was heartbreaking for our family. It wasn't just heartbreaking that he died. It was heartbreaking because he didn't have to die that way. It was very clear nothing else in his life was leading him to that position outside of smoking for 50-some years. That's what broke our hearts. And I think when God looks at his church, what breaks his heart is knowing there's a whole bunch of Christians who are letting him have access to parts of their life, seeing transformation in parts of their life, but are still insecure when it comes to their relationship with the Father because sin has got a hold of one area that they just won't let the Lord take control of. And here's the thing. When you let sin abound in one area of your life, you lose confidence in every area. Have you been there before? And so what do you do? Well, when you find out that no matter how much you repent, no matter how much you seek the Lord, no matter how much you mature in the faith, and he's transforming 99.9% of your life, but there's still always going to be something else he can work on. Is there not? There, there's always, you get through one thing, one habit broken, one bondage ripped away, and, and there's still something else. There's another layer. And that'll do something to a believer. 
And so you've got a choice. You can either rebel and say, what's the point? Why even try if there's always going to be something in my life dragging me down when it comes to sin? Or you can be religious and say, I'm going to hit this harder than I ever hit it. I'm going to get down and I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to keep and you're going to drive yourself into the ground realizing, man, until you see Jesus face to face, you're never going to be perfect. Or three, you can rest. You can have some spiritual rest in what Christ has done on the cross, which leads us to the second part of verse 20. So John said, even when your heart condemns you, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Second thing we see, we saw the issue is that everybody has heart issues. The second thing is the cure. And the cure is the Father's heart. Now, what do I mean when I say the Father's heart? There's a few pieces to this. Number one, it says back in verse 20, to reassure, verse 19, to reassure our heart before him. So this is all about standing in confidence in the presence of God. The Father's heart is that he has promised you and I His presence in our lives, His Holy Spirit in our lives, is more powerful than our feelings. It's more powerful. Even when you feel condemned and your heart is condemning you and you feel insecure, that His presence is more powerful than our feelings. The Father's heart also shows itself in that He's greater. What does it mean when it says greater? The, the Greek here actually refers to status or importance. So another translation of it would be that God is more important than our heart. That God's status on the throne is that he is greater. He is more important. It also means that what Jesus did on the cross, his work is greater than our failures. And then last but not least, we see the Father's heart in that he knows everything. He knows everything. We're not talking like Santa Claus. He knows if you've been good or bad. It's deeper than that. He knows your heart. He knows that the everyday average believer struggles with obedience at times. He sees that. He sees that. But he's a good daddy. And even though we all struggle with doubt, he's paved a way for us. So the good news and the bad news? (laughs) The bad news is that your heart's going to condemn you sometimes. You're going to go, oh, I'm just not living up to God's standards. The good news is God's the judge, not your heart. God's the judge, not your heart. You say, Ryan, I get it. We've heard this stuff over and over but I don't know why. I just feel crushed all the time. I fail. I make mistakes. I think I'm making some ground up in my spiritual walk with Jesus, and then I fail or I struggle with that same thing that's just been there over and over and over, and I can't break it, and I feel crushed. I've heard a hundred different sermons about how I, I, I can trust the grace of God, and yet when I go home and find that I fail again, when I go to work 
And I know I shouldn't gossip, but those folks are around and we're hanging out. And I, I didn't want to for the first 20 minutes, but 30 minutes, but eight hours into the workday and I found myself slandering somebody. I tried to be sensitive to my spouse, but by the end of the night, I found that we were fighting again. I tried not to click on that, but I clicked on that. And I don't know what to do. Well, let me say it for the hundred and first time. You got to trust the Father's heart and the grace of God is greater than your failures, that the Word of God is greater than your feelings. Because you will feel insecure and inadequate probably on a regular basis. But God's saying, What's different between you and the rest of the world is that you trust God's word when it says God's work is more important, it's greater than your work, than your failures. If you came into our house, you walked in the living room, you'd see a red chair, two gray sofas, some other furniture, a rug. It looked pretty normal. But Silas, my boy, he's three, and his perspective on things is different. And if you ask Silas what that room looks like, he's going to say, well, the carpet is the water. And by the way, the water's always rising. It's always rising in our house, according to him. And the chairs and the sofa, that's the dry land. And so at any given moment, he's leaping from one chair to a sofa or vice versa to get on the dry land to stay away from the sharks if it's salt water, according to him, or the alligators, if it just happens to be fresh water that day. You ever play that game when you're a kid where everything in the carpet was bad and you tried to get from place to place, leaping across your living room? Well, lately he's been, um, <laughs> lately he's been trusting me to bail him out. He creates uh, scenarios and problems, and then he becomes like the hero of his own story, right? Well, he's been depending on me lately to be the hero. And so when I'm in a room, and he knows I'm in a room, he's, he doesn't even have to look at me, but he'll be on the, the chair or something, and then he'll just start to slide off, and he'll be about to touch the carpet, and he'll say, Daddy, save me! Daddy, get me! And he knows, because I'm a daddy, I'm going to walk over there, I'm going to grab on his leg, and we'll lift him back up. And yet, a matter of moments later, he'll say, Daddy, I've fallen! And he'll start sliding off again, and I'll pick him up, and I'll put him back on. You know, it's funny to see a little three-year-old develop trust falls. (laughs) But it's also kind of cool, because you realize all he needs to know is that his daddy is in the room, that my presence is there, and he can start to move forward in faith. Even if he doesn't see me, but he hears my voice, he moves forward in faith. The Father's heart, the promise of his presence, the work of Jesus on the cross, is meant to give you assurance in ways that this world can't. That you're good with him. That he isn't going to abandon you Let me ask you this before we jump into the next slide. When you you look at obedience in your life, do you obey God or strive to obey God to please him or to prove to him? 
because there's a huge difference between pleasing and proving. And the way that you view the two is going to change the way that you view failures and sin. Well, what I mean is, it's good to want to obey and serve God to please him. We're going to see that in the next verse. But it's a whole other thing to try to prove yourself to him. If you fail while you're trying to please God, you stand up and say, okay, God, I want to please you. I know that I don't have to prove myself to you. I'm trusting Jesus did enough on the cross so that I'm good with you. But I know you're my daddy and I'm your child and I want to please you with my life. And so I'm going to get back up. I'm going to trust your spirit and I'm going to walk. You can overcome failure when you realize obedience is about pleasing, not proving. But if you come from the mindset that, man, I got to prove myself. I got to prove that I'm a believer. I got to prove that I can do this. I got to prove that I can meet God's standards in ways that you know you can't. If you could, you wouldn't need Jesus to begin with. Well, then when you fail, then you can't get up from that. You can't get up from that because it was all on you when you were trying to prove yourself. And you can't live up. When we stand before God, make no doubt about it, church. We're going to stand before him in confidence because of the work of Jesus. Because the Father's heart knew from the beginning, they can't do it on their own. They got to trust 100% in me. For the Christian who's been following for 50 years and is as mature as they come, to the brand new baby believer who placed his faith in Jesus tonight, they're both going to stand before me and they got one thing that's going to make them stand. And it's the work of Jesus, not the work of the believer. That's good news. That's good news. Verses 21 and 22. Beloved, our heart does not condemn us. We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Third thing we see. We saw the issue is that everyone has issues. The cure is the Father's heart. The third thing we see is the impact. When you believe that, when you trust in what the Father has done for us, then there's an impact, and it's a life-changing confidence. It's a life-changing confidence. You see, verse 22, at the very end here, it says that because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, make no mistake about this, right? This is, this is still saying, you've got to actually follow Jesus. You've got to actually obey him. It's not that we don't do any work at all. It's just that we're trusting Jesus' work, not our own work. That's, that's a whole other, that's a, that's a big difference. But he says again, our hearts, when they don't condemn us, we can have confidence before God. We can have confidence. In other words, when your conscience isn't convicting you of sin, things are good between you and God. You can go to him with boldness. That's a beautiful thing. But it seems kind of weird right here, doesn't it? And it says in verse 22, this little thing about prayer. Like, doesn't it seem random? And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now, first off, you know that you can't take this out of context. In the context of all of Scripture, when we ask of him, as long as it's in God's will, right, we receive. But if it's not God's will, like you can't just ask for a Ferrari. Unless maybe that's God's will. <laughs> Who knows? It could be. And expect it to get for God to be your slot machine. It just doesn't work that way. But God... Um, 
He knows. Just like our earthly relationships, that if our hearts don't condemn us, like if I'm at home with Tara and I'm treating her well and I'm committed and we are loving one another and things are good in the relationship, it changes every aspect of the relationship, even the way that we speak to each other. And in the same way with God, when you're finding yourself obedient to him, when you're finding even when you're not obedient that you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, then it changes the way that you even talk to him. And this is crucial. For some of you, this might be the only thing you get out of tonight, but it could be incredibly powerful. Think about this. Think about how much time is wasted by insecure believers. Think about how much time is wasted. Like just just in your prayer life. This is going to sound odd, but just think about it for a second. In your prayer life, saying, God, I know you probably hate me. Oh, God, you know, I can't live up to your standards. Oh, God, I feel like you're going to leave me because I can't. There's all of those prayers flooding out of our mouths. You see, every time you're praying that prayer, you're not praying the flip side of it, which is prayers of boldness, which is prayers uh, that can impact the world. How much time for the insecure believer are they wasting thinking about their own insecurities? When they, in the short time we have on earth, could be walking in boldness and confidence with God. Saying, I don't have it all figured out. I know I mess up, but I'm going to trust Jesus. And the short time I got on earth, man, I'm going to pray big prayers. I'm going to pray bold prayers. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to expect him to work through me. I'm going to expect him to change this world. I'm going to give my life to that. If that's the alternative, then something's at stake. Bigger than ourselves when it comes to our own insecurities. It's the expansion of God's kingdom. Isn't that the irony of insecurities? Is that it's not as much about you as you thought it was. Your own insecurity is as much about what you are bottlenecking God from doing through you as it is your own healing and the things that you need to grow in. That's why sanctification is so crucial that we become more like Jesus and less like our old selves. It's not for us. It's for what he wants to do through us to the people around us. At night, one of my favorite things is to pray over Silas. If you've got a child, you know what this might be like to be able to pray over them as they're going to sleep. You know what I pray? I pray, God, you know he's been a little rascal today. Please have mercy on his soul. No, I don't pray that. God, you know, we both feel like you're probably going to abandon Silas at any moment. We just don't know what to do. No, we don't pray that. You know what we pray? I put my hands on that little boy. And whether he knows it or not, I say, God, I pray. Just like John the Baptist who received the Holy Spirit, even in the womb, I pray that you would reveal yourself to this boy, that he would know you in ways that three-year-olds shouldn't know you. I pray that you would save his soul. I pray that you would transform his life. I pray that he would have a joy and hope in you that would overflow to all his friends, that he's talking to our family and his friends and our neighbors and the people at church and everywhere he goes about you. I pray that you change the world through this little boy. I pray that he would preach the gospel to the nations. I pray that the whole world would be changed because of the work that you do in this little boy's life. I pray that you use him for your glory. 
Those are the kinds of prayers that I change. That if they don't come true, something's at stake. That the world should be changed. You know what, though? It's easy to pray that for someone else. But do you pray that over yourself? Even as a pastor, I struggle to pray that over myself. It's easy to pray prayers of healing over someone when you're at the hospital with them. Or a friend who says, I got cancer, please lift me up in prayer. But do you pray for your own emotional healing from baggage 20 years ago? Do do you pray big prayers even over yourself? You see, your prayer life is a direct reflection of your confidence in God. And when God gives you new life in him, when you are a born-again Christian, part of your DNA is that you have confidence. Again, not for your sake, but so that you pray and walk boldly in the name of Jesus so that this world might be changed for his glory. So let me ask you, what does your prayer life look like? Because it'll tell you everything you need to know about the way you view yourself before God. When you're confident and you're standing before God, your focus shifts from you to the rest of the world and how you can impact them in every way. Verse 23 and 24, last but not least, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Now, this covers a lot of ground. A lot of it uh, we have already covered in weeks past. But the last thing we see is you've got to have a plan. So we got the issue, we got the cure, we got the impact, and now we got the plan. That we got to develop healthy heart rhythms. That we got to develop healthy heart rhythms. How does the heart stay healthy? That we believe, that you got faith, that, that we love one another, that we obey him. These are Rhythms, these are parts of our lives. A rhythm is a consistent pattern. And in the life of a believer, God's faith to develop patterns, habits, rhythms in your everyday life where you're staying in faith, where you're loving people, where you are obeying me, that this is just the, the elements of your everyday life. And you know that for any of you who have had heart issues, that when it pops out a rhythm, unfortunately I can attest to this, you got issues. You got issues. Now, I know, even as we start to wrap this up, some of us still sit here tonight and we say, oh, I get it. I think I do, but it still doesn't change the fact that sometimes when I read the Bible and I see all these commands and all this stuff I'm supposed to be doing and I can't live up to it, I just feel crushed. Sometimes I feel worse after reading the Bible than when I don't even read the Bible at all because I know that I see it and I see what I'm not doing and it breaks my heart. Listen, picture yourself. I know, I know what that's like, but picture yourself on a hike late in the day 
and you're having a blast and you're out there doing your thing. Before you know it, though, you're lost. And as you're lost and you're searching for the path, it grows a little bit darker. Before you know it, it's dark and you're walking trying to find yourself in a familiar place and you fall right on your face. And you know that you probably got mud all over you, but you can't tell why because it's dark outside. And so you keep walking, looking for a light. Finally, over the hill, you see a light. You see a house and you say, I got to get there, right? And so you walk through the woods and you find that house and you get in there. But the closer that you get as that door opens and the light comes out, the closer you get, you start to see, whoa, you got blood on your face and, and scrapes on your arms and you got mud all over your body and you're starting to see things that you didn't see when you were in the dark. Tell me, do you keep walking? You bet you keep walking. Because you walk towards the light. Even though it's hard. Even though you know. The closer you get in and towards the light. The more it's going to reveal the brokenness you have. That's the, the dichotomy of a life in Christ. That, those, that he who rescues you also reveals because of that great light. All of your brokenness and the things that you still need to be healed of. So there's two things that he gives us. There's two things that he says we got. By this we know that he abides in us and by the spirit whom he has given us. We've talked about abide, to remain in, to live in over and over and over and over. Two things as we get ready to leave here tonight that you can find yourself changing that will help you to obey the commands of Jesus. Number one, your location right here. Your location, where you abide to know that the Holy Spirit abides in you, but where do you abide? Where do you live daily? Now, you need to understand, when you seek daily, not just to obey God, but to be in His presence, to spend time with Him, to abide in Him, to enjoy Him, that God's presence is like a compass. It will tell you true north. When you get around the presence of God, when when you spend time with Him, you might come from a, a day full of drama, a day full of chaos, a day where you're like, ah, I'm just flustered today. But what happens when you spend time with the Lord? Your soul's calmed. And you find your life starting to align with him. Things start to look clear. You're going to find it easier to obey when you see him more clearly. And number two, by the spirit he gives you. His Holy Spirit. Number two, you've got to change your power source. Let me ask you, what energizes you to obey God? Right now, as it stands tonight, what's your primary motivation to obey God? Is it because you just want to please Him? Because of gratitude for Him saving your soul? Or is it because of fear that you're going to fail? Is that motivating you? Is it shame? Is it guilt? Romans 8.1 There's no condemnation. There's no guilt in Christ. Yet some of us, we say we know that, and yet our primary motivating factor every day as we try to, to obey Him is that we, don't, we just don't want to screw this up. We don't want to look bad. We, we don't want to fail. We got shame. We got guilt. The old devil's saying, you're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough. Quit trying. Some of us, we look incredibly godly on the outside, but we got the worst of motivations on the inside. It's the devil whispering in our ears that keep us going. 
And so on the outside, it looks like we're solid Christians who are maturing. On the inside, we are in turmoil because it's not the grace of God drawing us into a life of obedience. It's the condemnation of the devil whispering in our ear. It makes us keep on going as we've got chains on and we're dying inside. Shame, guilt, fear, those are faulty circuits. Those power sources don't work. And some of us, if we were honest with ourselves, some of us think that by condemning ourselves, by saying, yeah, I'm not good enough, I need to try harder, that somehow, some sick way, some twisted way, that we're actually pleasing God. We're not pleasing God. We're dishonoring him. And what Jesus did on the cross doesn't mean anything to us. Because he's saying, I want you to serve me, obey me in freedom, and we're doing it in bondage. Listen. John says some tough things. But this is coming from a guy who saw Jesus take a beating so that you don't have to beat yourself up. Someone who literally, physically, tangibly watched him get torn up so that you don't have to tear yourself up. God doesn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us because he is loving. There's freedom in knowing that. God God doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. There's freedom in that. This is why it's good news, church. As you leave here tonight, you need to know that you might be insecure in a million different areas of your walk with Christ. But God's saying, this whole book, it ain't about what you can do for me. It's about what I've done for you. And I'll be willing to bet (laughs) that our Father in Heaven is more merciful on us than we are on ourselves in a lot of cases. So, as you leave here, know that the beauty of the gospel isn't just the work that Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago. It's the work that he's doing in you right now. We're all a work in progress, but we can stand before the throne with confidence. That's a I don't know what kind of day you had today. I don't know what kind of week, month, year you're having. There's a million things in this world that can make us insecure. But a walk with Jesus shouldn't be one of them. Let's pray. Father God.